Uh, so if you were with us last week, we, we launched in kind of the final leg of a journey of just diving deeper into our mission at Fathom. Our, our mission statement's really simple. It's Matthew 28, 19 and 20, is to go make disciples. We believe that's like what Jesus set the mission as, and we're not going to change it. Um, and, and so we've just embodied, trying to do our best to embody that. And uh, really our first series was go, our second series was make, and our third series here is disciples. And really what we're going to be looking at last week and the next you know, few weeks is really just these these disciples that left everything to follow Jesus, and really just the things that we can kind of pull from their life that would help us grow as disciples, and there's so much there. We started with Andrew, who was the first disciple last week, and today we're going to take the next step um, and, and really go deeper, really go deeper into the disciples, and, and uh, one guy that, that we can learn a lot from, his name is John. So uh, my beautiful wife up here, we'll celebrate seven years in marriage this year on seven, like we got married on 7707, we just thought that was really cool, and at the time it was like the most any, like people had gotten married on one day until 080808, <laughs> and then until 0909, and then people just like kept getting married more, so a lot of people are getting married these days. Um, uh, but yeah, so we started dating in, in 04, and I remember like the first couple of months of us dating, uh, we were actually at Lee. And uh, we, we would sit in the car because we didn't really have much of anywhere else to go. Because for those of you that have never been to Cleveland, Tennessee, there's not a whole lot to do there. So um, it's a small town. You've got to go to Chattanooga. It's like 15 miles away or so. But, um, so we'd sit in the car and we'd just look at each other and stare at each other, you know, as you do when you just start dating, you know, and you have a beautiful woman like this sitting in front of you. And uh, so I, we would just look at each other and we'd be like, she'd, she'd start, she goes, what are you thinking? I'm like, I don't know, what are you thinking? She goes, I don't know, what are you thinking? So we just play this game back and forth, like, what are you thinking, looking into each other's eyes, and what we were really trying to do is trying to feel out, like, do you like me as much as I like you, and more so, like, do you, do you love me, and, like, if I put myself out there, are you going to, like, you know, break my heart? You know, I used to play this, I call it a game, because it was kind of messed up. I was real prideful, so let me just tell you my story. Like, as a kid, just like growing up, I was extremely prideful and arrogant, and so I'd play this, I call it a game, because it's not, guys, this is not what you should do, but I was so afraid of rejection that I would just be like, I'm not going to ask a girl out, which is like classic, like that's what guy guy asked, like, but I'm like, I'm, I was so prideful, I'm like, I'm not going to ask a girl out, she's got to you know, she's got to tell me she likes me first, so I just play this game. It was so, come on, it's messed up. Come on, right? Guy's got to take the lead, right, and, and ask the girl. I don't know, maybe times are changing, but I just kind of had this way about me that I was so afraid of rejection. That was kind of what was playing there. We were trying to fill each other out. Do you like me as much as I like you? Um, because that's kind of necessary to kind of make sure that you're not kind of going, you know, too far, too fast, or like, you know, jumping off the deep end, and, and they don't, you know, they don't reciprocate. So that's the kind of the fear. And I think all of us have maybe learned this in relationships at one point or another. And usually it happens because one person goes too, you know, too far, like wanting, you know, too much and you're not, you're not ready for that. You're not, you're not ready to, you know, say I love you or, you know, whatever it is. You're not ready to get engaged, whatever it might be, you know. And, and so you kind of feel this out. And, and I was really thinking about that. I think our relationship with Christ is similar and different in, in, in some ways. I think it's different in that we never have to wonder what Christ thinks about us. We never have to wonder what he's thinking. We never have to come in here and be like, does God still love me? We never have to kind of look, like close our eyes and, and just 
ask that question because he's laid it all out there. I mean, he, he laid out his son. I mean, if I, were to, um, if I were to sacrifice my son to tell you guys that I love you in this room, like that would be crazy, but um, I would never do that, just so you know. <laughs> we're all on the same page here. Um, if I were to do that, you wouldn't be like, oh, but like what else? What else you got? You wouldn't be like that because that's like crazy. And, and God has laid all his cards out there that he loves us infinitely. And, and you don't have to question his, his love for you today. You don't have to. So I think that's the biggest difference. But, but I think there's some, a similarity, and I think James touches on it in James, I think it's 4, 8. And it says, draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. Draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. Or draw, James is saying, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. And so I think we can kind of really begin to have some confusion in theology as we hear a scripture like that, and really try to understand I personally believe that God, in, in, in the, the death of Christ, the sinning of Christ, and, and even far before that, before there were ever rules, Ten Commandments in place, God said, I want a relationship with you. That's what happened first. It wasn't rules, like get it all right. It was, I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. I've got amazing plans for you. I've got all these plans for you. So it was, it was love from the very beginning, God's relationship with Israel and just kind of forecasting it into Christ. It, it was he, we love because he first loved us and, and he was inviting us into relationship. So I think that invitation is always there, but I think there's something important to notice about this draw near to God and he'll draw near to you is that I, I've heard some preachers and teachers put it like, you know, uh, God's a gentleman, you know, and he moves at our pace. And I think that's what he's saying there because the rest of that text, James 4, 8, says, you know, wash your hands, sinners, purify your hearts. And so I think there's this thing of as we move closer, we're purified. We make these steps toward God. And then he, he, he draws closer and closer and closer. I don't know if you ever feel distant from God. And so uh, we believe that God's omnipresent, so he's with us. But I, I think there's a whole other level when we really begin to engage in the relationship. Because we can be in the same room, but not really be encountering one another. Does that make sense? You guys could be sitting back here. I could be sitting up here. We could never engaged together, but God has actively pursued us and loved us through the, through the death of Jesus, and, 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 our, and our response is now, he's, he's laid all his cards out there. It's love. It's just respond of love, so I think we're going to see how this kind of plays into today's text and today's uh, person um, in, in Jesus' disciples is, um, is John. John was a, a, a unique guy. So Some of us want to call him characters in the Bible. I don't really like to call them characters because they were like real people, like this was a real guy. He, he wasn't some kind of fictitious. This is a guy that wrote like lots of books that we get to read today, and like you know, we'll, we'll actually read some from from one of them today. So this is a real person. So I, let's not characterize them, even though they have different like personality traits that would kind of give them their characteristics, you know. So, but he, he's not a character. He's a real person. Uh, and so we're going to look at, at John. John, his story was, at the beginning, was the same as Peter and Andrew. We looked at Andrew last week, his brother Peter, kind of joined down at the same time at the beginning of Matthew 4. And John had the same profession and kind of the same story. Right after that, Jesus comes and says, like, come, follow me. And so John does what Andrew and Peter did, dropped everything and began to follow Jesus. You know, pretty, you know, crazy start of just, like, following Jesus and um, but what we find about John is John was like in the, what, what some would call an inner circle, an inner circle for Jesus. So he had these 12 disciples that Jesus called, and there was three of them, Peter, James, and John. James and John are brothers, actually. 
Um, and they have like a unique role in Jesus' life that they got to experience some things that the others didn't get to experience. And they had a unique relationship there of comfort and, and, and challenging and care that some others didn't have. Um, and, and so things like this, um, like Jesus sends them ahead to prepare Passover, like what we know is the Lord's Supper. Like they're the ones that are sent ahead to, like Peter and John are, to, to take care of the table. We find that John um, is the one that's sitting next to Jesus at the Passover table, at the Last Supper. He's the one there that's reclining next to Jesus. We see this in the Gospel of John. Uh, we see that uh, G, uh, John is there in the garden when Jesus is arrested. Like, if you want somebody in your inner circle, one of your good friends, they better be there when you get arrested. <laughs> you know, and they're there when, or he's there when um, Jesus is crucified. In fact, on the way to, to be crucified, Jesus looks at John. This is their relationship. And he's like, Look, I, I've been telling you this for a long time. I'm not going to be here, you know, um, on this earth in this physical form forever. He said, And I need you to take care of my mom. I mean, like, that's the type of bond here that he looked to John and was like, Dude, take care of my mom. I mean, like, that's like family, that's like family member stuff. Jesus has kind of redefined, you know, family in, in many senses. Um, and, and then he's there after Jesus is resurrected. So he, he's, I think of all, and, and I don't think I'm, I'm wrong about this. I, I'm trying to think back through my head. I think John was the only disciple who, who didn't desert and, and was there when Jesus was crucified. That took it all the way there and like witnessed it and like hung in there. I mean, like that's how close. And I love how, and then he obviously, he saw Jesus after he was resurrected. And I, I love, and some people kind of have a, a weird feeling about it, but in the Gospel of John, the according, uh, Gospel according to John, it's the, the fourth book in the, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, that tells the, the story of, of Jesus' lives and, and just kind of um, shares that. John shares a lot more theology as a kind of perspective that he's bringing into it in, in his Gospel. But one of the things, I think five or six times throughout his Gospel, he refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved. And I think it's such a unique way to tell it, as opposed to just talking in third person, John. Like that would, you know, it's kind of weird. You ever hear people talking in third person? I, I do a coaching call with a, a guy, his name is Kyle. And so often, like on our, it's like a video conference thing, and often he'll refer to himself in the third person, and I think he's talking to me, and he's like, and, and so Kyle will be up there doing this, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that he's talking about himself, but, you know, so that would be weird if, if, if John did that. But I love how he says the one who Jesus the, the one whom Jesus loved. I think there's this, it's like expressing, like not saying, hey, you didn't love everybody else, but like this is like from my heart. It's kind of poetic the way he puts it, just from the one that Jesus loved. Um, you know, you think that you just kind of have that special place, you know, in God's eyes, it's amazing. So I love that kind of picture of it. So I want to start, start off by just looking at this idea of inner circle and how that plays into our life and how we can help and then we're going to, to, to dive into really the transformation that took place in John. And here's, uh, if you don't catch anything else, here's what I want us to grab today, is that being with Jesus changes us. Like, being with Jesus changes us. Like, like you cannot walk with Jesus, you cannot follow Jesus and not be changed. And we're going to see that in John's life. We're going to look at the early part of his life and kind of see some of the characteristics that are brought out through the text. And then we're going to look at the later part of his life and we're like, where is that dude? Like, these seem like two different people. Um, and I can honestly say that just being with Jesus, just from my own heart, changes me. Sometimes that's tougher, sometimes that's easier, but, but it changes us. So, and that's kind of the big idea of where we're going today. So let's look at an inner circle just for a second. Um, again, 
I, I heard a, a, a quote early, re, recently that said, uh, there's really two types of relationships. It's those that comfort and those that challenge. There's those that comfort and those that challenge. I think that's the role uh, of an inner circle in our life, is those that comfort us and those that challenge us. So basically, who, who in your life would be there to comfort? And a lot of us, we want lots of people to comfort us. But we'll run from those that challenge us, whether it's just frustrating us at work or whether it's really saying, hey, man, what about this part of your life? Like, where are you, where are you growing here? Like, what's going on in your life? And there, there's two types of relations, and, and that's really why we need an inner circle is to be comforted. And John played that role. I don't think necessarily he was challenging just because the role of him being Jesus and all. I don't think he was often challenging, but I think he, he probably frustrated Jesus. We're actually going to look at some texts where Jesus like, has to rebuke him and like, constantly challenge him, so Jesus was in his inner circle too, right? I mean, because he had that kind of opportunity or that role in his life to be comforted. I mean, we see John doing that in, in Jesus' life. He was there when he got arrested. He was, again, he was uh, there to take care of his mom, to comfort and care for him. He was there, um, you know, at, at the cross. Just seeing, seeing a close friend when you're going through stuff like that is a major deal. Uh, John, uh, um, Peter, James, and John also got to experience transfiguration of Jesus, which is like when Jesus reveals his divinity up on a mountain. It's just an extraordinary encounter that they have, and like you cannot be the same after something like that. Uh, and, and so I think the, the big reason we, we need an inner circle is people that will be, be there for us when we get arrested. <laughs> Just kidding. Hope you guys don't get arrested. But, um, and, and those that would be there to challenge us, that would speak into our life. And, and so what, what do these people really need to have? What do they need to possess in their life? Well, I think they need to be people of character. Uh, you, you need people that you can trust, people that will be honest with you, that you can be honest with. I mean, I think you need people that you get along with, you like, you have chemistry with, and and then finally, someone that's competent. I mean, if you're struggling, struggling financially, I mean, you don't necessarily want a person that's, you know, worse off than you, you know, pouring into your life financially, if that's the, really the major hang-up in your life, or whether it's sexual sin, you don't want somebody, you know, that's, you know, again, not competent in that area to speak and pour into your life. So I think they got to be filled with, with, with character, you know, with, with competency and with chemistry, real chemistry in your life, so that you can really have those people in your life that can pour in uh, but that will also be there. When you share hard things with them, they'll be there to comfort you because they've got a level of character. You have a level of trust with them, chemistry, in which you receive that. And I think all of us, we need an inner circle in our life. We need two to three people in which we meet, you know, we'll have a, a monthly lunch with. And, and it's intentional. We're really focused on what's happening there. We need, uh, maybe it's a, a weekly phone call. Just say, hey, man, how are you doing? And, and, and we don't just pick up the phone and kind of go through the routine. Doing good, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but they're willing to ask us honest and intentional questions. Like, talk to me. Like, what's Jesus teaching you? Like, talk to me about this area in your life. And, and in this room or outside of this room, we need to begin to, to develop an inner circle in our life. And, and I'll be honest with you. This was something for a long time I desired so desperately. I wanted this in my life, but I had trouble making that step. And, and here's what I believe. As we become more desperate to be comforted, or more desperate to grow, we'll allow people into our life. We'll, we'll open up, we'll allow people into our life as we get to that place where you need to be comforted, and you're like, who, whoever's closest to me is about to become my inner circle. You ever been in one of those places in your life? You're like, whoever I see is about to just like, I, I just need to share my heart. So as we get more desperate, as, as our hearts need that more, uh, we'll, we'll, have, we'll be intentional about it. And here's what I believe about the generation, the world we live in today, is that if we're not intentional, 
If we're not intentional, we'll be alone. And we won't grow. Those two things. So the comfort thing is we're, we're not gonna, we're, we're gonna be alone. And the second part is we're not gonna be challenged, so therefore you're probably not gonna grow. No one's there pushing you. Because it's so easy to just fall into a routine of complacency and not growth. But know that Jesus has, has laid it all out there and, and he's, 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 he's told you how much he loves you and he loves you infinitely. But this idea of drawing near to them hap- happens intentionally. Um, I, I don't think we just wait for like a big sign in the sky I, I, I think that's really a, a lesser faith than, than really moving right now. God, like, I don't need to see, like, the sun. I, I think that's real, like, faith. Like, God, I don't see anything right now. I don't feel anything right now, but I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to pursue you, and I love you. So I think if we're not intentional in the world we live in today, we'll just, like, stay at Facebook distance, right? We'll, we'll just stay social media distance, and we won't really have relationships. We won't really, uh, we'll feel alone. And that's the, the world we live in. The more connected we are, it's funny how we've just become more alone. You know? How we can reach anyone on the face of the planet, but many times that becomes like a crutch because we don't really engage. We're not intentional and honest. So let's look into the life of John and really see how this idea of living in an inner circle with Jesus really transformed him over time. So we're going to go to uh, Luke chapter 9, and there's kind of two like things like right on top of each other 49 50 we see one and then we're going to see another one 51 through like 56 or something right in there where we see some some kind of intense qualities about John some of you will recognize yourself in this text uh, master said John we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us verse 50 do not stop him Jesus said for whoever's not against you is for you like some of the things that we'll see about John is that he's kind of fiery, he's kind of hot-headed, he's kind of like, I don't want to call him, like, I don't want to, when I say the word zealous, I don't want to say that it's a bad thing, I think it's a great thing, um, but I, I think we, we kind of see some of these just really fiery, like, this next one is like really, really fiery that we're going to look at, um, but, and I don't know what he was saying, I think he, there's two ways we could view this text here, like, hey, you know, it, it can look at, he's protective over the uh, ministry of Jesus, like, he didn't want anybody else preaching false doctrine, he was just, like, trying to, trying to really, like, shepherd and care for, so we, like, shut this down over here, and Jesus corrects him, and he's like, don't stop him, he's like, like, look, in this game, man, if they're not against us, they're, <laughs> they're for us, like, if, if we're not being persecuted, then we can do our thing, and, like, we're not going to go like shutting everybody down, like taking down everybody's ministry as they learn about this. We're just going to be faithful. And so look at 51 through 56, and it, and it gets even more intense, like shutting something down. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Remember this, he set out for Jerusalem. Uh, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready. So he, he's going into a Samaritan village, and he's going to Jerusalem. These are Hard cultural tensions, hard cultural tensions. Um, like, like Jews often referred to Samaritans as dogs, like that extreme derogatory language in their time to refer to them. They did not want to associate with each other. Um, verse 53, but the people there did not welcome him. They didn't welcome Jesus. They didn't welcome his disciples because he was heading for Jerusalem. Their racial issues, their racial um, divides were getting in their way. They didn't want to welcome Jesus because of not where he had been, because he was Jewish too, um, but that he was heading for Jerusalem. He was heading for Jerusalem, 54. 
When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call on fire from heaven to destroy them? Like, that'll show them. Like, you don't welcome us. You don't get up when we walk in. We're going to call fire down on you. Like, that's, when I said fiery, I, I meant it. He was very fiery. Uh, verse 55. Listen to what Jesus says to them. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Verse 56. Then, then he and his disciples went to another village. It's like someone doesn't receive you, he just moved on. So we see kind of two instances here of kind of his, like, let's shut this down. Is he being protective or is he being exclusive? Like, God, you know, this is, this is our thing only. You know, he's in the inner circle, right? He, he's kind of having this kind of, you know, position. We're trying to block everybody else's ministry out. Some of us do that sometimes in our lives. Like, we want to criticize everybody else's ministry and what they're doing, you know, and, and then hear this whole fiery idea of like, look, you, you, Jesus, you want me to call on fire from heaven? Because we'll do it. Like, we'll do it. Like, to just, not like, to like, shut them up, but like, to destroy them. Like, this is intense language from a, a Jesus follower. And Jesus is like, no, like he rebukes them. Um, and it, it, it's, it's amazing that we see this kind of picture of John of who he is right now because of where we're going to see Really, John progressed as he spends time with Jesus, and Jesus corrects him. He challenges his ideas, and, and he says, look, man, if they're not against us, they're for us. Like, if we can just do our ministry in peace, I mean, basically is what he's saying. Someone's not going to come and stop us. If they're not you know, directly preaching against the gospel we're preaching, we're not going to get in there and, like, play this game. He's like, just take a chill pill. You know, I think it is somewhat of what Jesus is saying here. And so ultimately, we see this start with, with, with John, and, and some of us, I think, immediately will have this emotional connection to this because we're, we're kind of fiery ourselves, we're kind of hot-headed ourselves, we're kind of exclusive ourselves, we're kind of protective ourselves, and I think we can see ourselves in this. Man, just frankly, that was me. I mean, I see myself in this so much, I mean... I used to, some of us have some of the uh, emotional things, um, you know, that I, I've dealt with in my life of just bottling anger up. I don't resolve it. I don't bring it before the Lord. And it just bottles and I, exp- I used to explode. And people like, because I'm so easy going and chill now, people think like I've always been like this. And I always have to tell you, I'm like, I, I was not, I was not. Like I could lose it. I mean, I was a kid that got suspended from school for fighting like that was setting up meetings. I was the one that was fighting in my neighborhood in school against this. Been like so again. That's sorry. That's your pastor. Like, sorry, um, but like that's who, that's who I was. And in walking with Jesus over time, he's just he's just changed me. There's moments where he's just broken down my anger, where I've just had to lay it at his feet. And like being with Jesus changes us. Seeing John's life, and I see myself so much in this too. So let, let's kind of jump forward a little bit. We're going to go to Acts chapter 4 um, here for just a moment. Acts chapter 4. We're, we're just going to look at this one, I think it's one, one or two verses. Do I have 12 in there? 13, 14? Yeah, let's look at 13 and 14. And, and I lo- this is just amazing. This is John and Peter. And John and Peter have like really gone after it. You know, um, Jesus has already been resurrected and returned to heaven. And uh, we, we see them just going after it in ministry. I mean, they're, they're, they heal a lame guy, a lame beggar. Like, they heal him. And uh, people get upset about that. Like, no healing. Like, no, no, like, no beggars can be, you know, better than, you know, what, what the situation they are. So they get upset about this. People start bringing. They've got thousands of people, like, following and walking with Jesus now. I mean, so they've gone from 
12 and this inner circle, and this inner circle is like changing the world. This 12 is changing the world. They sent, he sent out 72. Jesus was multiplying already. But here in this, this one kind of area, thousands of people are beginning to follow. And, and what we see here is they recognize the courage as they put them in jail. They bring them before, and they see the courage in Peter and John. And read this. And John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were unschooled, they were fishermen. Like, like, how do you have all these people following you? Like, how are you healing people? Like, you're just, after they started talking, you're like, oh, you guys are just, just regular guys. <laughs> but you were doing extraordinary things. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And a lot of times I feel really ordinary I feel unspectacular. But know this, that, that God loves to work with ordinary people. He does. He loves to just let his glory be shown through unschooled people. People that don't have all the degrees behind their name. They don't have everything figured out. Just people that are honest and available. I'm not speaking against degrees and schooling. Don't, don't think I'm saying that. But God can make his glory great with texts like this. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Look at verse 14. But since they could not see the man who had been healed standing there with them, or since they could see the man uh, standing there with them, there's nothing they could say. Like, wh- what are we going to say? Like, you need to be lame again. Like, they can't, like say anything against people who had been with Jesus. And I think that would go to, to our lives. Like, can people tell that we've been with Jesus? I, I, can people sense that something has changed on the inside of us? That, that maybe this is where we came from, but this is where we're now. Because, because of the only reason that I know is that I've been with Jesus. Jesus, I've encountered Jesus. I, I've seen his glory. I've experienced his love for me, and it's transformed me. As I've drawn closer, I've had faith to take those steps. There'll be nothing they can say. And so they had to let him go. They had to let him go. Like, what are we going to do with you guys? Like, you didn't really do anything wrong. You're just unschooled fishermen who are changing the world. And so if you ever feel just ordinary or feel like you know, come from a place of understanding everything. John and Peter and Andrew and James, they're all fishermen. They're ordinary men, but people could sense that they had been with Jesus. I think we see it just as much in, in 1 John 4, one, of, um, uh, one of, uh, of John's writings. He writes 1st, 2nd, um, and 3rd John. He also writes Revelation. And we see this uh, in, in this text because he's the one that says God is love. Uh, he's the one that, that, that says this line and, and pins this line, that perfect love casts out fear. Uh, he's the one that, that, that says these, the, the fire, remember the fiery guy, the guy that was calling down fire from heaven is now like, like writing and preaching on love of God. People can tell that he's been with Jesus. I think even through his writings here. And so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. And God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I think John had experienced this. John had been challenged in his inner circle, with his inner circle with Jesus, to, to not just go looking to, to call down fire on everyone, um, but to be a person that's consumed with love, living that. Uh, and we know that today because he, he first loved us through this act in Christ. And, 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 and to us today, it's like, what, what transformation? I mean, can you look back in your life, maybe when you first met Jesus or when you first started hearing about Jesus, like, where has the needle moved? And I don't say that to be, like, uber-duber critical of, like, this body or anything. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, like, let's look at ourselves and, like, let's ask ourselves, like, who's comforting us? Who's challenging us? Like, where's, where's the growth happening? Do we look any different than when we started? Like, I, I, my prayer is that, God, that wouldn't, one day wouldn't go by without just a new revelation, God, just a new step of faith. God, help me to just walk and live in, in this faith that changes me as I draw near, as I wash my hands. Say, God, you're all I want. All I want is your presence. All I want is to walk with you. And so, so I, I just have to ask us today, like, who are those people in your life that can help you make those steps? Who, who's going to be there when you're in the garden and you're crying and you're broken because of you, what you know has to happen, the tough decisions you have to make? Like, who's there in your life to be, you know, bring that to you? John's life continues on, and he ministers to Asia in incredible ways. I mean, preaches to thousands and reaches thousands of people in Asia. He, he was arrested by Nero. Many of you have heard of Nero in history and how he persecuted Christians. I mean, he would take stakes and he would put heads of Christians. I mean, he just had this whole line of stakes and he just put heads of Christians on these large, like, 10-foot poles and just put their heads up. That's how much he persecuted Christians. I'm not talking about, like, locking them up. I'm talking about, like, vicious murderer decapitation type stuff. John was arrested by Nero. He was persecuted by the Romans. Um, and he lived through it all. Um, he gave his life for the gospel, but he was, he was never martyred. History tells us that he, he, he died a natural death, but he gave his life to ministry and preaching. Whatever it cost him, whether it was persecution and prison, torture, whatever it cost him, he lived that out. And ultimately, I think we see this incredible transformation in his life because he had been with Jesus. We see the guy that was calling down fire from heaven. Now he's saying God's love, perfect, perfect love, cast out that fear. That's probably what he wanted to instill or judgment or something. He's, he's, Jesus taught him to, to love perfectly. And, and so I just want to invite you to take a step of faith today closer to Jesus. I want to invite you to, to be intentional and honest with a couple of people in your life that you can trust, that have character, that can really, you really get along with and just say, invite them in to your circle to challenge you, to be there, to comfort you, whether that's just monthly meetings, a weekly phone call, just one or two people that can really just pour into our lives. And just know that as we draw closer, Jesus changes us. Jesus changes us.